It's a joy to be here, isn't it? It's a joy to know that we don't need to fear this Sunday morning that police will come through those doors and kick us out and seize our building. Now, truthfully, have any of us ever really feared that? We typically think of things like that, that type of persecution, as being a world away. Until today. Until COVID came and government officials in many countries all over the world started using their power to prevent churches from gathering or to make those gatherings as complicated and inconvenient as possible. Thankfully, some churches and their pastors decided that it's better to follow the commands of Jesus Christ and worship Him anyways. Pastors like Tim Stevens of Fairview Baptist Church in Canada. Pastor Tim and his church, they decided not to comply with their government's overreaching attempts to limit church participation. Eventually, the police came, took the church's building, and kicked them out. Changed the locks. So their church decided to start worshiping in secret. Earlier this month, one of those secret worship services was spotted by a police helicopter. And the following day, the police went to Pastor Tim Stevens' home and arrested him in front of his wife and children as his children cried in the driveway and held their father's hand through the open window of the police car. And Pastor Tim is still in prison right now, waiting his court date tomorrow. Please pray for him. Earlier this year, Pastor James Coates of Grace Life Church in Canada was in prison for 35 days because he and his church continued to meet for worship to the dismay of their government. When Pastor Coates was finally released, police came and erected a fence around their church so that he and his people could not enter into the building together. They too have been worshiping in secret. These are just two examples, and there are more. The underground church isn't just in China and in countries with dictators anymore. It's across our own border. Here in the U.S., churches face plenty of fines, many of them did this past year, for rejecting government overreach and choosing to gather together to worship. Believers, 10 years ago, the idea of a worship service in North America being shut down would have been something that was easy for us to ignore, but not anymore. You know, it's time for us to wake up, believers. This persecution is spreading, and it isn't a surprise, because this world has always hated Jesus Christ and his followers. We knew that the days leading to the return of our Savior would be worse days. And while we all want to be present when Jesus returns for his church, we were all hoping to avoid the bad days. But perhaps we're starting to realize that we won't be able to avoid them. But take heart, believers, because Christ has overcome the world. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. In this world that hates the Lord, I pray that like those churches in Canada that I mentioned, I pray that like the church in China, the underground church in countries all over the world, I pray that we would never stop worshiping Jesus Christ no matter what happens. That is the heart of what I hope we will see as we turn together to John chapter 12, verse 1 this morning. And if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there with me. John chapter 12. 
as you turn there. It's been a couple weeks since we were in the Gospel of John together. The last time that we were, we saw how Jesus powerfully raised Lazarus from death to life. And Lazarus, who was undeniably dead for four days, was now alive and well as we enter John chapter 12. Many were putting their faith in Jesus as a result of this miracle, but as we saw last time together, some still refused to believe despite this. So that's where we pick up now. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, says this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Really try and picture what's happening here. So everyone is reclining at the table. They're eating, they're talking, they're having a great time. And then in comes Mary. She takes this expensive perfume, which we will soon learn cost a year's wages. And she uses it to anoint the Lord's feet using her own hair as a towel for it. Mark's gospel tells us that she broke the vial that the perfume was in. In other words, she didn't use just a little bit of it. She used every last drop. You see, what was happening here was worship. We often think of worship as simply singing songs of praise to God, and that is a form of worship, but it's not the only form. So we should really ask as Christians, what do we mean when we use that word worship? One pastor defined and described worship well. He said this. He said, genuine worship is a response to divine truth. It arises out of our love for God. Worship means ascribing glory to him because of those truths. It means adoring him for who he is, for what he's done, and for what he has promised. It must therefore be a response to the truth that he has revealed about himself. And believers, that response can take many forms. In fact, it's what we see here. Mary takes this expensive perfume, so costly that she may have intended in the past to use it sparingly, so, so that she could make it last as long as possible to enjoy that fragrance long into the future. It would have been something special to her. And she pours it all out for Jesus. She humbly bows her head down using her own hair to dry his feet. This was a humble act of love and worship for her Messiah and Savior. The one that she knew and believed is the Son of God. And in this humble act, Mary was showing her love and her adoration for who Jesus is. She gave up the entirety of something precious and costly, so she could honor and glorify Jesus with it. And believers, does that describe our worship? Does that describe our worship? Do we worship Jesus throughout the week out of a genuine love for him, or do we just give him whatever time and energy and maybe money that we have left over when Sunday comes around? In other words, do we give God all of our heart or do we just give him the scraps from the week? 
Godly worship pushes all the other distractions aside. It ignores what others might think, and it wholeheartedly focuses on God. Mary came in humility, regardless of what those reclining at the table might think or might say, to give this costly perfume and laying aside all other distractions so that she could worship at the feet of Jesus because Jesus was worth all of that to her. What's Jesus worth to us, believers? Believe me, the sweet aroma that filled the room was nothing compared to the beautiful act of worship that was taking place. But not everyone there was impressed by it. Look at verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. It doesn't take long before the beauty of worship, that fragrant aroma before the Lord, is met with the foul stench of the world's opposition. So here comes Judas Iscariot. Our soon-to-be traitor, hypocrite at large, not a true follower and believer of Jesus Christ. And he comes saying that all of this was a waste. And believers, rest assured, the world will always claim that our worship of Jesus is a waste. That's because unbelievers, unbelievers despise the worship of Jesus. Understand that unbelievers despise the worship of Jesus. They hate it. They think that Jesus, he's not worth the time. He's not worth the money, the effort, the energy. He isn't worth it. So they'll claim that Christians, that we're fools, being found at the feet of the Lord for nothing. And it shouldn't surprise us that they think this. The world despises worship because like Judas, they're focused on themselves, on Christ. Judas was greedy and this worship of Jesus was standing in his way of getting more money. And our world is greedy too. Our world is greedy and wants more and more of its sin and sexual morality and its hate and its division and the worship of Jesus is standing in its way. So they despise it. So it's really no surprise that we find in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark who tell us it was after this event that Judas went to the chief priests and agreed to betray Jesus to them at an opportune time. Because some unbelievers despise worship so much, they'll do anything to stop it. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now we come to the triumphal entry of Jesus on Palm Sunday. The day when the masses called out his praises in the streets, correctly proclaiming him to be the true king of Israel. Unfortunately, many of them did this with impure motives. They were still looking for a political savior, not a spiritual savior. Even the disciples didn't fully understand at the time all that Jesus was about to do or all the prophecies that he was fulfilling right in front of them. Yet even in this mix of believers and unbelievers praising the Lord, worship still occurred. They sang out his praises. The Gospel of Luke tells us that some of the Pharisees made it over to Jesus during this time and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. To which Jesus replied, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And can you imagine the sight of this? Can you imagine the crowds praising Jesus? This multitude of people grabbing palm branches, laying them and laying their coats before the Lord, crying out the words of Scripture. It must have been quite a sight and quite a sound. Now this is the form of worship we might be more familiar with. That corporate gathering, the assembly where we sing out our praises to the Lord in unison through song or through Scripture. What's sad is when that worship falls silent. We know that there were many there on that Palm Sunday who were not believers, so we aren't surprised that their worship eventually fell silent. What's sad is when believers willingly choose to go silent in their worship of the Lord. When they willingly separate themselves from the gathering of God's people. In contrast, there are some Christians who so eagerly desire to worship Jesus together that they're willing to meet in secret if they have to, despite the threat of persecution. And church, I pray that our hearts would burn with that same desire to worship Jesus alongside one another. And let's worship with great joy as we cry out his praises, believers. They sure cried out loudly that Palm Sunday, so much so that the noise was inescapable. Plug their ears as they might, the Pharisees couldn't escape it either. And you know what? They hated it. They despised it. They wanted to stop it. That's because many unbelievers don't just despise worship. They want to destroy worship. They do. They want to destroy it. The Pharisees wanted to destroy and end this worship so much that they were willing to destroy followers of Jesus, like Lazarus. It says they put plans together to kill Lazarus. 
Their blood must have been boiling. They wanted to destroy this worship. They wanted to stop the praises, put an end to the parades. They wanted to put an end to Jesus. And they succeeded days later by convincing the crowds to call out for his crucifixion. And then those religious leaders, they enjoyed, they enjoyed a few days when the followers of Jesus fell silent, when they were in hiding, when no one dared praise Jesus in the streets. But then those three days ended, and Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and his people haven't stopped praising him since. And neither should we. Believers, this world's opposition to Jesus and the worship of Jesus has not come to an end. And it will not come to an end until human history comes to an end. We need to understand that unbelievers will not stop their hatred of and their attempts to end the worship of Jesus Christ. The world has wanted to stop the worship of Jesus ever since it began. So let's not be surprised by it. But let's also not be silenced by it. Let's never stop bowing at Jesus' feet in humble adoration like Mary, giving up anything and everything for his sake, if we must, because we know that he's worth it. Let's never stop shouting his praises, even when others come and rebuke us, even when they try and take everything from us, even if they think they can remove all things from us. We know that they can't remove our salvation. They can never take our faith, and they should never stop our praise. The enemies of Jesus have long thought, well, you know what? Maybe if we throw those pesky Christians in prison, maybe that will get them to shut their mouths and stop all this worship of Jesus. They've thought that since the early days of the church. Yet when they threw Paul and Silas in prison in Acts chapter 16, we find that those two men kept praying to the Lord and singing to him while the other prisoners listened in. When they were finally set free, they went right on praising the Lord and sharing the gospel. The world still, though, thinks that prison is going to stop Christians or cause us to stop worshiping the Lord. Tell that to Pastor Coates and Pastor Tim Stevens, whose churches continue to meet in secret and worship the Lord together. Tell that to Pastor John MacArthur here in the United States, who when he was threatened in past months with jail time, if his church continued meeting, he simply said, well, if they do that, I'll start a jail ministry. Eventually, the world realizes that prisons don't work. Prisons don't stop Christians. In fact, the recent attempts to shut down churches in Canada has actually served to increase attendance with those churches. That's why some enemies of Jesus have thought, well, you know what? Maybe if we just kill them, that'll stop those Christians. Then they won't worship him anymore. But we know that that would just bring us into eternity. But we'll be praising the Lord forever. Not only that, but persecution has constantly strengthened the resolve of the church and even grown the church. Believers, here's the thing. The world despises Jesus and our worship of Jesus. Many of them will not stop at anything to end it. And 10 years ago, we might have ignored that statement as altogether, as something too distant for us to be concerned with. But if we still think that, then we need to wake up. Pastors are being arrested right over the border in another country that claims to have freedom of religion. Do we really think it's going to stop there? The world is never going to stop trying to silence 
Christians. But if these things should ever come to our doors, let's never be silent. Let's never stop worshiping Jesus Christ. And let's never stop bowing to His feet and only His feet. First Baptist Church, as this world continues its never-ending pursuit to silence Christians, let's never stop worshiping the Lord who saved us. He should be worth everything to us. And so we need to ask ourselves this morning, is there anything that we are holding back from the Lord or holding back from our worship of the Lord? Is there anything in our lives that we are worshiping above Him? Those would be the things that we prioritize and adore above Him. We need to worship the Lord and only the Lord. We need to worship Him here when we leave this place, wherever the Lord leads us in this life, all until we are found worshiping Him side by side in eternity after this life. Believers, let's never stop worshiping Jesus Christ. And remember this truth this morning. If we believe Jesus is worth all of our worship, then nothing in the world should stop us from that worship. If we believe Jesus is worth all of our worship, then nothing in the world should stop us from that worship. Let's always be found at his feet. Let's constantly be found in the assembly of believers. All until that day when we are found experiencing what John described in Revelation chapter 7 when he said this. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. That will be a sweet day. And until that day, church, let's never stop worshiping Jesus together. If you're here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, I just want to take a brief moment to explain to you why we believe Jesus is worth all of this. Why we believe He is worth worshiping even if we were tossed in prison, if they took everything from us. Please understand the reason we believe that is because for those of us who do, there was a moment in our lives when we finally realized that we're, we're all sinners, that we've broken God's commands, and that because of that, one day we will stand before God, and in His justice and holiness, He will punish our sin. The only just punishment for sin, the Bible tells us, is that we will be separated forever from Him in a place called hell. But then we heard that sweet news. That news that God loves us so much, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. And Jesus came and died on the cross to take all of the wrath, all of the penalty and punishment we deserve for our sin. And after He was buried, Jesus rose from the dead three days later, proving He is who He said He is. He's the Savior, the Son of God, the only one who can forgive us of our sins. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And friend, if you have never made that decision, please know two things. Please know first, that you can make that decision before you leave today. No matter where you've been in life, no matter where you are right now, you can pray and put your faith in Jesus Christ. He'll forgive you of your sins and He'll save your soul. But also know that number two, you do need to count the cost of following Jesus. 
He constantly told people that because we don't follow Jesus for an easy life. We follow him because he's the only one who can give us eternal life. And if you give him your life today, he'll be with you every step of the way through your life until that day when he welcomes you into heaven with open arms. Would you pray with me? If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, but you want to make that decision, you want to give Him your life, you want to receive that forgiveness, that eternal life, you know that you need Him. If that's true for you, then please understand that you can go to Jesus right now and pray to Him. There's no one way you must pray it, but friend, go to the Lord and Tell him that you do know that you're a sinner. You know that he died for you. That you believe he rose from the dead. Give him your life. Ask for that forgiveness and that eternal life. And he will save your soul. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be with our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world who are facing so many difficulties, so much persecution, we pray that you would strengthen them. Please be with Pastor Tim. I pray that your spirit would comfort him in a special way right now. I pray that you would allow true justice to be carried out tomorrow when he goes to court. I pray that you would comfort his family, his wife and his children, and his church family. That you would help all of them to be emboldened by his example I pray the same would be true for us. Help us to take great encouragement from the examples of believers like Pastor Tim Stevens and Pastor James Coates. Help us to determine in our hearts that we will never stop worshiping You. Father, I pray that as we prepare our hearts for that, that if persecution should ever come to our doors, we would never be silenced. We would never stop praising You. Because you're worth it. You're worth everything. Because you have given us everything. And Father, we love you. But as always, we thank you for loving us so much more, which you proved when you sent your Son to die on the cross for us. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.